Hello and welcome to another explosive episode of Say by the 90s. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today is a, a guy who's I have no intro for this week, Ken Bakley. Hey, Ken. Hello. Normal, you know, I think. Normally I come up with some dumb joke uh, with intro- introducing you, and I was gonna, like, I was trying to come up with one based around the theme, but I, the, this month, and I was like, what? I was gonna mention Captain Ron. I was gonna say, like, you're you're the person who's watched Captain Ron the most holds the record for watching Captain Ron the most or something but then I just I don't know the the resident expert on making grape jelly omelets or something (laughs) yeah Um, so this that's that's who I am (laughs) this month we're going to be taking a look at Kurt Russell movies and check out four of his uh, higher profile I I guess somewhat high profile some of them definitely higher profile starring roles this uh, throughout the decade uh we're gonna start it off with backdraft this came out in 1991 let me get the exact date here we're looking at may 24th 1991 directed by ron howard i have a, a synopsis here two chicago firefighter brothers who don't get along have to work together while a dangerous arsonist is on the loose now, this is a movie that I have a... I hold this movie very close to my heart. This is one of these movies that I just absolutely loved as a kid. Rewatching it today, still love it. Still think it holds up tremendously great. So be careful what you say about this movie, Ken, because this is like one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, I, I, I think it seems like you're... you're as any of us who who just have movies that we have very close to us you you're often all too aware when you're on the uh far end of the film's general reception yeah i um the one of the reasons that uh we're we're doing Kurt Russell this month is because when i was a kid for some reason i just loved Kurt Russell movies anything oh, that anything that Kurt right. Russell was in i just I pretty much loved it. And and after wa- rewatching these four movies and just thinking about the rest of his filmography, I can say like, yeah, I still I still love Kurt Russell. He still makes awesome choices uh with with his movies. And I think Backdraft was a was a great choice. Uh like I see I see issues with Backdraft. I don't think it's a perfect movie. Or anything like that. Like if I was to put on like my film critic glasses and and examine Backdraft, I could pick out a lot of flaws with it. It is pretty sappy and over the top at times, but I still think that it has a lot of really great moments, and I still I still think that it um, holds up tremendously well. It's also the movie that as I. Uh alluded to a moment ago has the uh, eggs in a pan of grape jelly yeah his son (laughs) yes his son is making (laughs) breakfast for their mom and so um this is one of the like there's not that many firefighter movies out there that i can really think of i was thinking there aren't a lot of like you know movies with with fire as like you know this much of the theme and you're right with with firefighters as main characters except however and this is a note that i made immediately um 
I just wrote down number of movies in the last three months about fire and firefighters that feature the song Heat Wave on the soundtrack. Two. <laughs> <laughs> because as you'll recall, Wilder Napalm. That's that is correct. Wilder Napalm. Yes. Lest, lest we forget song. Wilder yeah. Napalm. Also featuring the uh, wonderful song, Love is Like a Heat Wave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's just not that many firefighter movies out there. There was Ladder 49, I think was the name of it, the one with Joaquin Phoenix. And then this. This is like the gold standard for firefighter movies. And I really can't think of anything else except for Backdraft 2, which I will talk about because I did watch it. I I don't... I was very surprised to learn that there was a Backdraft 2. As was I. Now, I was aware of it, but... Well, I guess it just came out in 2019. So I, I do remember, like... I don't remember. I think it was doing the, the podcast... And we were covering new releases on Blu-ray, and it popped up, and I was like, "Backdraft Two? Are you kidding me?" <laughs> and of, like, I didn't, I didn't watch it back then because th- there was just no way I wanted to have this this uh, series, I guess now ruined because yeah, of that. But could have really brought down the Backdraft cinematic universe. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I did watch it for for this episode specifically, so I, I definitely took one for the team with with Backdraft too. But I'll get into that later. Yeah. What what did what did you think about back, Backdraft? What were your initial yeah. impressions? Well, first of all, before we 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 get into it, I, I did want to say uh, for the for the listeners, um, next month is the fifth anniversary of Saved by the 90s. And as I was reflecting on that impending milestone, uh, I was thinking about, like, when we were first planning out the show and talking about, like, possible movies that we could we could cover. I'm sure we did a lot of them in the first months, but I seem to remember, I think possibly before we had recorded our first episode, you had mentioned that you wanted to talk about Backdraft at some point. And now I kind of understand why. It's It's a movie that's very... Uh, uh, that 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 you've always that you have a very long history with, uh. So we're finally reviewing it now, four years and eleven months into this podcast. <laughs> and by the way, there's still like all of my, pretty much all of my favorite '90s movies. I, I, we talked about a lot of them for sure, but mm. there's still a good number of them that we have not discussed yet. So, uh, but yeah, I I don't. Quite. I didn't. I don't. I don't have a, a connection with this movie. I thought it was fine. I thought it was uh, generally well uh, made. And I think. I. I, I think th- th- this is such a hackney thing to say, but the star of this movie really is the, the fire. fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, and I think that is kind of uh, a choice that Ron Howard made. I think that maybe some some people could criticize the what how he presented the fire and that it was almost like a living thing that like, it feels like about a full half of the dialogue in this movie appoints his people talking about fire as if it's a person. Yeah. And, And see, that's, that's one of the criticisms that I can say about this movie is that the way that the, the characters talk is not even close to how people 
in this field would talk to each other at all. Almost every line of dialogue feels like it's saying something to the audience, almost as if it's like just exposition dumping to us. Like this is what fire does. This is what, how this chemical reacts to fire and like, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that, where it, it feels very almost like it was a, a movie made for firefighters so that, as they're watching it, they can be like, yeah, it does that, you know, <laughs> so, something like that. But, you know, that, that's such a minor quibble for me. Yeah, I mean, there are ways that movies can kind of introduce concepts that aren't obvious to the audience in ways that don't make them feel like characters are telling each other things that already know. And movies have done that, but this one doesn't, and it's not particularly interested. No, no, it's this is very kind of on the nose stuff you know there's there's these like big big hero shots in it and it is just a kind of a brainless popcorn movie really um but i think it's very well shot i think that the using the fire is almost a villain there's there's even a scene where the fire like it almost it looks like it literally murders someone in the way that it's shot it looks like Mm -hmm. the fire is like a slasher and it goes after someone yeah Yeah, this kind of is just like a horror movie that it is a slasher movie and a lot it is set up that way it's also Uh, a movie that that throws a lot at you there are a lot of kind of plot threads in this you have you know William Baldwin's character as the 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 young brother uh Brian Brian McCaffrey and he's like trying to figure out he's trying to find his way in the world and he decides to become a firefighter like his his brother and his late father and so there's like that whole plot line and then there's like some like love love story bits thrown in there un- unnecessarily and then there's like the actual firefighting and then William Baldwin leaves the the like the crew and goes to become an arson investigator with Robert De Niro so there's like that whole angle with like the arsonist and then there's this like separate thing with Donald Sutherland almost like a Hannibal Lecter type where he plays yeah, I, the he plays this arsonist that they like interview to get ideas about who's causing these these crazy backdraft fires and Sutherland's doing that's such a fascinating performance. You know, he's really is like laying into the, the, the whole it basically he's, he's like doing proto ASMR or something. <laughs> I, loved, I think he I, whispers yeah. almost every line of dialogue. I loved his character in this. Oh yeah. It's like, there, that those are some great scenes. How he calls uh, De Niro is his shadow and stuff. Like he, he, he plays such a, creepy weirdo in this i love it i think he's i think he's great so yeah there's a lot going on in this movie i think that it there's often too much going on i wish that they would have just slimmed it down a bit and like you know just clean just tightened it up just tighten everything up a bit but um the the firefighting scenes i think are great i mean Mm -hmm. this is some of the best pyrotechnics i think you will ever see in a movie because Mm -hmm. this is back in the day when wasn't cg like they were literally burning everything like there was so much fire in this movie so uh yeah i mean i just don't think you're gonna see 
movies like this dealing with fire in the same way anymore. With- yeah, it's an interesting thing where if you even look back at the press coverage of from from 1991, everyone's you know in in unanimous agreement that it's the you know most uh, astonishing looking fire effects that have ever been in a movie and that's probably a title that you know unlike many uh movies this time goes on probably a title it will keep for the foreseeable future oh yeah i I just don't see other movies using real fire in the same way i mean that's not to say that movies don't use real fire plenty still do but not to the same degree that this one does i mean there's huge like there's some scenes where it's like whole, like the like whole buildings, multiple floors just on fire, mm. like uh, floors collapsing, roofs collapsing, like so much. Like this, just the intricate set work here with all of the different like l- multiple levels of fire and different types of fire too. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty wild. It, it is it it is almost like you can kind of see why other movies never bothered to like tackle the whole firefighter thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, how are you going to top this? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. As far as like the firefighting stuff goes, I mean, especially because, you know, as you uh, said, you know, definite criticism uh, point against the movie is you can't uh, take it from a different genre because this movie kind of uh taps into all of them yeah 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 which Although, is you know i yeah i think uh, yeah i mean i think it's that is a knock against it but again like that on top of like the, the pretty cheesy dialogue and some very kind of sappy moments in this in general um, I think they, they they definitely bring it down, and I also under I understand all of those criticisms with it. Like for me, it doesn't bother me. Like I still just I, I have that nostalgic connection to it. So yeah, like I don't yeah. really doesn't doesn't bother me one bit. I also think it's interesting now to watch this movie many years uh, afterward, and I you, you particularly get this when you watch from the same year, The Silence of of the Lambs. The way because they're both you know. Uh, crime dramas, uh, the, the, especially with Silence of the Lambs because it was such a huge hit. But even this one, I think you look at it and you can kind of see the 90s procedural films kind of laying the groundwork and laying like the plot language and the visual language of, you know, the million kind of CSI uh, oh, yeah. and derivatives that you would get in the next decade and onward. Yeah, I mean, there's that uh, Chicago. I've never seen it, but there's that Chicago yeah. Fire show. Yeah, I, I, be, I believe this takes yeah, place in Chicago, by the way. Yeah, there's Chicago. Yeah, there, there's also Chicago PD. There's Chicago, Chicago Med. Yeah. All of those. Dick Wolf now owns two full nights of the week on NBC <laughs> because I think they're now back to three Law and Orders or Laws and Order, I guess. Lost in order, yeah. order, yeah. And now they have three Chicago shows, so there are two full nights of NBC primetime programming that are just Dick Wolf shows. <laughs> I will, I, I would like to shout out the show Rescue Me, which is was the that show with Dennis Leary that was on FX way back in the day. That was a that was a firefighting show, and that was a really 
that was a really great show. That was like the beginning. That was like at the the forefront of the whole kind of prestige TV boom. Mm. It's one of the early ones, and that was a re- that was a really great series. So, it, there, there was some good firefighting TV, and they did not every episode, but they did tackle some scenes that were actually fighting fires in that show, which was kind of impressive for the time. Mm-hmm. I assume that Chicago Fire does as well, but I bet I bet it's just not anywhere close to the same caliber as something like backdraft or even rescue me uh, i cannot imagine that it is oh my god did you know that chicago fire has been on for 11 seasons <laughs> no I, I i know this comes up all the time but like the way that just network television just does not exist in the broader cultural zeitgeist i don't know how long i would have guessed that chicago fire was on if you had asked me, but I would not have guessed 11 seasons and 239 episodes. No, I never would have guessed that. I, I probably no, would have I, said like five or six years. Yeah, or something. yeah, like, that, 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 that would have been. I, I think the, the the one that really like showed me, like this is just totally gone at this point, is that um, the remake of Hawaii Five-0 was on TV for almost as long as the original Hawaii Five-0 was. God. I've never seen any of those like Chicago no Chicago shows never none none of them none of them appeal to me I mean I, I like Law and Order I, I don't watch Law and Order anymore so I don't I don't know what's happening with that show but they brought they brought the original Law and Order back Yeah I knew I knew they did that um and I think that I watched it cuz didn't they when they brought it back wasn't it like a crossover with SVU isn't that how they isn't that how they brought it back like the, I think the, so. I think that's like I. I think that's kind of like how the. Because you know, uh, like I said, it's all under the same banner of uh, Dick Wolf's shows. I think they just periodically do stories that just involve all six of them. I, yeah, I know that they've done um, SVU Chicago PD crossovers before, because I remember seeing that. Anyway, did you know that he also has a three-show franchise on CBS as well? <laughs> FBI, FBI Most Wanted, and FBI International. I've literally never heard of those shows. So, the original FBI has just hit its 100th episode, which means it can now go into syndication. Oh, God, that's wild. Uh, so, let's talk about Backdraft Two. Um, okay. Be- so the way that the way that backdraft one ends Kurt Russell's character, Stephen McCaffrey, he gets killed tragically trying to save the, the arsonist who's starting all these fires, killing these people who turns out to be one of his best friends slash another firefighter played by Scott Glenn. Um, and then backdraft two takes place 20 years after the first one, where his son Sean is uh, grown up, and he is a fire marshal. So he investigates arsons, just like William Baldwin did in the first one. So Backdraft Two is a very similar storyline to Backdraft One, but it's more on the procedural, like investigation side of things. So there's not as much firefighting in it there's some but like not too much obviously because they had nowhere close to whatever the budget was for <laughs> backdraft they they did not have yeah. a, a big budget for this one at all 
Um, William Baldwin comes back. He plays. He's now the 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 um, the fire chief, and so he plays like a surprisingly large role in it. And Donald Sutherland comes back as Ronald Bartell, the arsonist, and he plays a much bigger role in it too. So like, uh, as as they're trying to catch this arsonist, um, he he goes back. He Sean finds out that. Um, these arsonists went to meet Donald Sutherland. So he goes to talk, talk to Donald Sutherland pretty regularly. So he has like maybe three scenes in the movie, which is, you they, know, two more than in the first one. Yes. And yeah. Th- this is it's yeah. I like, I thought it was going to be absolute dog crap. Like looking at the cover, just, the vibe in general, I was like, there's just no way it can be anywhere even close to the original. And it's not, but at the same time, like I didn't think it was that bad. Like it wasn't good, but it, it got eviscerated on letterbox and I don't think it's as bad. I think the reason that people are hating on it is because it's a sequel to backdraft and (laughs) people are expecting it or maybe hoping or wanting it to be like on the same level and and it's not i mean it's it's definitely like a a vod sequel that came out many many years after the original and but it but at the same time like it wasn't horribly made it wasn't horribly acted the dialogue wasn't great but the dialogue wasn't great in the original one and and, and it definitely has, you know, more people from the first movie than you would ex- expect or yeah. something like Donald that. Donald Sutherland, because they, because before, before they introduce him, they mention him. Like they, they, because like somebody, somebody like offhandedly says like, oh man, this is, this is one of the most sadistic arsonists we've seen in this city. And then somebody else goes, no, not, not the most sadistic. That's Ronald Bartell. And then. So I thought that that was all it was going to be, but then like, yeah, they actually introduce him and he's in it playing the same creepy character and he plays it the exact same way too. Like he just went right back into that character. Hey. Uh, So so you know what? Like, it's not good, but I was surprised that I didn't hate it. Hey, that's, that's certainly more than, you would may have expected. <laughs> I think the biggest problem I had is I didn't like the actor playing, uh, playing Sean. The, the, I, the guy's voice was very grating to me. Um, Joe Anderson. Mm. And I've seen him in like a bunch of other stuff too. And I, and I've liked him in other things, but for whatever reason, this movie, like, I don't know his, his, uh, accent or his voice just, yeah. Well, he bothered me. Well, well, he is British, so he was not only trying to be like generic American. Was he trying to sound like he was actually from you know doing a Chicago? Thing yeah, or... yeah. Mm. But it almost sounded like a. It was almost like a New York accent. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think there's this belief that if you don't know what like northern U.S. city dialect sounds like, they you just do a New York one. Yeah. They also try. Yeah. They, they also try to add in a little bit of diversity in this movie by 
bringing in Alicia Bailey as like a sort of like a new recruit, I guess. I don't, I don't even know what she was and her character feels like it was written in last minute after they realized that the entire cast is just white men. (laughs) And Mm. so they like quickly wrote someone in who she has nothing to do with the movie. She, you could easily eliminate her and the movie would play out the exact same. Yeah. I was about to say, that sounds like a character that I'm sure was written with and created with the, with the utmost uh, sensitivity. Yeah. So that's another like problematic area for this. Yeah. For this movie. It just was poorly written, I think. Um, But yeah, not a, not an absolute train wreck. I kind of, I, I, yeah. I mean, I liked, I liked where they went with it. I liked the, I liked the procedural nature of it, um, where it was like, you know, it was, it was similar to the first one. Like it was just like, there was like an arsonist using this like really advanced technique to like basically assassinate people with fire. Mm-hmm. So it, was, it was cool. That is, yeah, that, that is not something that you see frequently yeah. in the, in the movies. Anything else to add about backdraft before we move on? One thing that occurred to me while looking up while reading up about this movie after I watched it was that there was a backdraft attraction at Universal Studios. Yeah, I didn't get to see it, but, uh, but it, it was it, there for a while. I think it was. Op- it opened in 1992. Apparently, the first at, at Universal Studios Hollywood, they say the first uh, attraction based on an R-rated film. There, it says uh, it opened there in 1992 and it closed in 2010. But it was open at Universal Studios Japan from 2001 until 2020. Nice. You know, it just did not occur to me that Backdraft would lend itself to a theme park attraction. <laughs> well, I mean, Twister did and Terminator 2 yeah. did. I, I, yeah, I feel like Twister would have been more obvious to me than Backdraft. But Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely. Um, I also, I, I also, before I forget, I wanted to mention Hans Zimmer's score is uh, mm. very, very good in this too. This movie was nominated for three Oscars. Uh, did it win any? I don't. No, uh, it looks no. like it, it looks as nominated for both of the sounds and the visual effects, but lost to Terminator Two and all. Mm, that's understandable. Yeah, I will say that the like the sound the the sounds of the fire. Oh, it's, it's a sound. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> like the sounds of the fire in this. Huh? The first time you hear like the full sound effect of this, it's incredible. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Cool. So that's backdraft. Uh, I still highly recommend it. I, th- I think it's, it's yeah, great. I, it's worth, I recommend it too. Next one on our list. We're talking about tombstone. Uh, this came out in 1993 on Christmas, Christmas day, 93. Uh, I have uh, this is directed by uh, George P. Cosmatos and Kevin Yare. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Probably not. Uh, I have a synopsis here. A successful lawman's plans to retire anonymously in Tombstone, Arizona, are disrupted by the kind of outlaws he was famous for eliminating. So this features Kurt Russell as wider. And uh, you got Val Kilmer in here as Doc Holliday. Great performance by val mm-hmm. kilmer i'll just throw that out there immediately bill paxton is morgan Earp. sam elliott is virgil Earp. 
Powers Booth is Curly Bill, Michael Bean, Jason Priestley, Stephen Lang, Thomas Hayden Church, Billy Bob Thornton, Michael Rooker. This is a who's who. Charlton Heston. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Charlton Heston. I was like, I didn't recognize him at first. Like, it was the voice. I was like, is that Charlton Heston? I don't remember him. I don't remember him in this. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, yeah, there it is. Old, I, I old have Charlton Heston. Okay, so, so I have one more note, like the one I had the last one about, you know, number of times in the last so-and-so months that something's happened in a movie. I don't get to that. Now I can, now I just want to bring up another one really quick. <laughs> number of times in the last three months that we've been surprised by an appearance of Charlton Heston in a movie, <laughs> too. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> that is, uh, Jason Priestley, too. I didn't recognize him in this. Uh, I, I didn't realize that was even him until I was looking at the cast list. I was like, Oh, how about that? Uh, this movie's great. It is, it's a classic Western really. Um, I, when I think of like a traditional Western, this is kind of what I'm, what I think of, uh, cause this is, this is the kind of movie that was like really big when I was, when I was a kid, like this and unforgiven even the quick and the dead i think you could lump in there yeah that 90s wave of new westerns mm -hmm. i guess uh what was oh young guns young guns 2 and then there was that other one that was like with selma hayek i think uh it was like an the whole shtick was that it was like all women all women cow cowgirls gunslingers so yeah, there was a bit of a, a Western resurgence in the '90s, and and I think that this is this and probably Unforgiven were at the the forefront of that. Yeah, there was also another movie about Wyatt Earp with Kevin Costner. That is, yeah, that's that's true. But but Kurt Russell named his son Wyatt, so this yeah, one, this I mean, so this one's better. Yeah. This is uh so this this does tell the true story of the like the shootout at the OK Corral and uh, just wide Earp and Doc Holliday's like the, just their their kind of journey and at this point in their lives and it's pretty wild man like they have a lot of information on how all of this stuff went down back then like they even have like quotes of like things that that they would they were saying back then which is kind of wild to me. Because it feels yeah. like, you know, it feels like it was so long ago, <laughs> but. And, and just like the, the mythology that we build of that era, we just don't think of it as a very well recorded time. Exactly. Like, it just seems like it was, it was kind of lost to history just because of yeah. the lack of technology. But I mean, yeah, it, it, it wasn't yeah, that it, in the grand scheme of things, it actually wasn't that long ago. I mean, Wyatt Earp lived until like the mid to late twenties. Yeah, Wyatt Earp died in 1929. Yeah, so it's like that's kind of crazy when you think yeah. about it that he yeah. that he lived in to 29, and his his common law wife who he meets in this in this uh, they show him meeting in this movie Josephine Marcus. She lives until like the 40s. She, she dies she, in 1944. Yeah, so. That's kind of it's just kind of wild to to think about that. I don't know why. Maybe maybe it's for other yeah, people. Yeah, it, it, well, it, I think it is. Maybe 
and I, I don't I'm not I'm not in any way uh, an expert on, on on this era, but I think it, 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 I think about this in broad broadly how we think about history. I think there is a point where as soon as something passes out of living memory, we kind of think of it as the same amount of distance as everything else that has passed out of living memory. But, you know, this really isn't even even by the standards of the relative newness of of, of the United States and American history. 1881. Right. Yeah. Is not at all long ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of it's just kind of crazy to think about like yeah how things were like not that long ago in in, mm -hmm. in th this country yeah within you know not too many you know if you think about it in terms of generations not really too many generations back where people are just killing each other like all the t i mean i guess one could argue that that's kind of what happens now but yeah in yeah. a different in a different way um yeah, yeah. Uh, i think that this is a uh, pretty pretty fun but i mean i mean by today's standards it feels a little just conventional to me a little too too conventional maybe um maybe. there's a lot of really good performances in here i mean obviously this is an incredible cast and I, and everybody had a lot uh to work with and they all did tremendously well um and you know there were a lot of fun shootouts and and scenes i think the dialogue was cleverly written it was pretty witty um i i liked it. I, I mean doc holiday really like val val kilmer just you know destroyed that role where he was his character was stricken with tuberculosis through the whole movie so like the whole movie he's just sick and sweating and mm -hmm. he just like he still managed to uh like you know, just chew the scenery in every 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 moment that he was in. So, performance. Yeah, I mean, great. Um, yeah, the I think for the most part, uh, this is this is a pretty solid western. I'm not generally like a big western guy. Um, so, like for me, it, it's not like it. This really knocked it out of the park or anything. I'm just not that into westerns yeah. in, in general yeah. like I, I don't have a lot of history with westerns either like I, there's a lot of like old classic westerns like john wayne stuff that like i just never saw mm -hmm. so i'm definitely not an expert on the genre yeah i'm not either really i but you know i like i like this movie i i i for some reason i'm fixating on the release date of it you know christmas 1993 this is really is the, I, you can feel like this is a great see it over the holidays kind of movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's 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 uh relatively long and it, it it is involving, but it doesn't ask a ton of you as a viewer. True. Yeah, that is true. It's the kind of it's the kind of movie you could take your grandpa to over the holidays, and he would like it. Yeah, it, it, it yeah. If we think that it's it's like the it's it's got a yeah, it's a, it's a manly it's got, movie. It's got a lot of appeal. Yeah. Sorry. I said it's a manly movie. <laughs> you could take your conservative uncle to go see it, and he'd be into it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's got a lot of wide appeal. It's I I. I I liked it. I don't have much. I don't have too much to offer. Really, I think I think like comparing this to some of the other '90s 
uh, like westerns. I still like The Quick and the Dead and Unforgiven more than this one because I think that those two had just had more on offer. Like The Quick and the Dead, I don't think was a better movie to to be clear, but it was more fun and like you know Sam Raimi's like camera work and stuff. I think added a lot to the genre there. Whereas this one, I feel like. It looked okay, but it, there really weren't any specific like scenes or shots that really kind of impressed me that much. You know, it, it all just felt like it was being shot on a, you know, Western, generic Western desert set. Mm-hmm. And it's not, nest, that's not like, there's, uh, there's really nothing wrong with that. It was just like, it wasn't really adding much to the genre for me. Like, I understand that this is a movie that, you know, back, back then there, there, there probably been a lot of movies since then that have been inspired by this movie. And, um, you know, it, it does tell a really crazy true story. It's just wild to think about that. This is, or something similar to this actually happened. And they seem to get the broad strokes right. I did look, I like briefly looked up the true story of this as I was watching it. And they, it does seem like they kind of got the broad strokes of this. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's uh it's worth a look. I'd say if you're, if you're in the market for a good solid Western, you can't go wrong with tombstone. No. Uh, one thing I do want to uh, share one fact from the production of the uh, film that I've seen reported in multiple places, so I have to assume it's true, and I want it to be true. There are no fake mustaches in this movie. Oh, nice. There are, all so, all really there are so many mustaches, like, like huge, huge mustaches. Like, mustaches I wish I had the ability to grow. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. Here, here's another fact about this movie. The, the director, George... P. Cosmatos, uh, his his son Panos Cosmatos is is a director, and he did like uh, he did Beyond the Black Rainbow, and that movie was funded with residual checks from this movie. <laughs> so, without Tombstone, we wouldn't have Beyond the Black Rainbow. This movie, the, the, I mean, that truly is a legacy for this for a movie to have. <laughs> it funded another completely unrelated movie yeah i thought that was kind of kind of a wild um kind of a wild fact yeah Yeah, um yeah so check out tombstone i give it i give it a recommend certainly Mm -hmm. uh moving on to our third feature we're talking about escape from la this came out in 1996 august 9th this is a big summer blockbuster, boy. This is uh, directed by John Carpenter, the one and only. I have a synopsis here. Snake Plissken is once again called in by the United States government to recover a potential doomsday device from Los Angeles, now an autonomous island where undesirables are deported. I've got another note here. <clears throat> uh-huh. Hit me. Number of movies in the last two months that have featured Los Angeles being split off into its own <laughs> island after an earthquake a shockingly no- low number of years after the film's release is said to occur. <laughs> two. 
Yeah. Now, if anyone wants to take these and make them their own oddly specific letterbox lists, you have my permission. Yeah, uh, th this one. So the the big quake takes place in the year two thousand in the in this one, and uh, by what twenty thirteen is twenty thirteen. Yeah. So so this movie takes place in twenty thirteen, and wow, is it a very different world in twenty thirteen? I mean, holy cow! You know, we talk a lot about like you know how it's weird when a movie, you know, is set in the year that you're watching it. I think the even weirder thing is when a movie is set 10 years before what you're watching <laughs> yeah. it. And it's, like, so far advanced. Yeah. Um, the same thing that happened last month. This, so this movie, I, I remember I was I was at my, my grandma's house, and she agreed to rent this for me on pay-per-view. And uh, so this is, this is a pay-per-view watch for me when I was a kid. And I absolutely loved this movie. I didn't see Escape from New York, mind you. I only saw Escape from L.A. at this point. I saw Escape from New York years later. Um, and I, was, I, I remember being really bummed out by Escape from New York because it's essentially the exact same movie. And it really bothered me that it was like the same, the same thing. Um, kind of the theme park version of Escape from New York. Right, yeah, it, re it is really. Um, I, I realize, yeah, I realized that I had not seen at least you know start to finish Escape from New York. So uh, I watched it, you know, after we agreed on this for the for the theme. And yeah, th this this is this is an interesting movie to watch, like two or weeks or one week or however many days it was after you watch Escape from New York. Yeah, I mean, it's pr pretty much the exact same movie if I remember correctly. Yeah, but. But this one is just so, yeah. so but, out of control. Yeah. <laughs> Not that, yeah, the whole thing about the original one is that it is ridiculous, but this is the, the ridiculous in just so many different ways. Yeah, I mean, the, like, every, almost every, like, every other scene of this movie is, is completely over the top. And, I mean, it felt like, like, Carpenter knew that and was leaning more heavily into it. And I will, I will say, John Carpenter is still one of my favorite directors of all time i think that he's an absolute legend and i wish he would make some more movies i know he's making a video game actually that, that just got announced this this past week yeah. mm -hmm. um but this this movie is just so crazy um and it, it's fun i i love this movie i think that it is this movie didn't hold up in 1996 when it came out i remember thinking like oof these effects are not these are a little bit rough even back yeah, then I, I i i absolutely need we need to talk about this <laughs> because if we're talking about how backdraft looks great and will <laughs> yeah. always look great we have to talk about the cgi in this movie this has maybe some of the worst cg of any like big budget like hollywood movie the, the the CG in the first like one of the first scenes of the earthquake, <laughs> I gasped. It's so believe yeah, the the building. This is what they put in the in the final cut. Yeah, the building that looks so bad and the way that everything moves, and then you know you have it's the same plot, basically the same plot as as New York, where you you have Snake Plissken, he's a prisoner. He's like, hey, you know, you're going to get a full pardon. You got to go into L.A. and recover this this black box. 
So they're like, okay. He's like, well, how am I going to get there? They're like, okay, we're going to put you to submarine. The submarine that they put him in is, I mean, it. I remember when we used to do Ryan watches a movie. He would anytime he would see bad CG, he would he would liken it to the show Reboot, which is was this like '90s kids show that had some of the worst like earliest CG ever. This submarine scene actually looked like something out of reboot. There was like no texture on everything, anything. So it just looked like, like smooth shapes, like a smooth cone shape. And that was the submarine. It was tremendously bad. Like I I couldn't believe it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So he goes, yeah. So that's the, that's awful, awful CG. Then Later on, you have the the surfing scene with that was- <laughs> with Peter Fonda, and that scene is in and of itself is unbelievable. Where you you see like Buscemi driving by the the giant tidal wave, and it just it lo- it all looks so awful. But you know what? Like I think I think that the really terrible CG in this just kind of adds to the charm at this point. Yes. And then you had the later on you had like the the paraglider scene with with uh <laughs> Pam Greer as Hershey and like Yeah, the, 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 I that the I, I will say, you know, through the lens of 2023, the the how her character is portrayed. I, is uh, yeah, I was going to ask I was going to ask you what, what you thought about that scene cuz I totally forgot about that. I think we would I th- I would hope that we as a, as a culture would make better choices in 2023. What was her- Hershey's original name was uh, Carjack? It was like Carjack Malone or something. Yeah, it's it's a lot of really awful, you know, like uh, ways to de- to depict a, a a a trans character. So that that definitely did not that hold up. Yeah, that certainly did not age well. Much like the CG. Uh, yeah, I, I, that. I think that, that by 96, that was probably bordering on inappropriate. I, I would think so, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, was, the scene when he grabs the gun, I mean, that, that's like, like, it's one thing, but then like that scene when he, uh, when he grabs, yeah. Anyway, no. we'll, we'll uh, move we're gonna, on. We're going to have to say that we did not like that and move on. We'll, we'll move on beyond the, uh, the Hershey scene. Um <laughs> Nothing against Pam Greer though. She's great. Oh no. I, I love Pam but, Greer. That's a character that, that's the material she was given. What else? Yeah. A lot of great yeah. people in this. Um in addition to the folks that we already mentioned, you have uh, Stacy Keach in here as Commander Malloy. He was kind of a bad guy, but eh. then you have uh, AJ Langer in here as Utopia who is mm-hmm. the the president's daughter. So the whole premise here is that the president's daughter gets hooked up with this like uh revolutionary guy named Cuervo Jones, which is the a ridiculous name to me, I don't know why. Um and she steals this what turns out to be this uh EMP weapon and goes to uh Los Angeles to to hand it over to him and then she realizes that he's kind of uh kind of like a serial killer or a mass murderer rather hmm. uh we 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 added a bit more to the lore of the of the of the movie 
uh, the the president in question is like a theocratic, you know, uh, fascist dictator. Uh, and there's this throwaway line in the intro that the capital's been moved to the president's yeah. hometown of Lynchburg, Virginia, which means that it was basically supposed to be Jerry Falwell, because uh, that's where he's from. That's where Liberty University is. Had they chosen a different '90s, like horrible, you know right-wing you know theocratic demagogue commentator as their basis uh this could have been very topical from the week from when recording this <laughs> yeah, because pat, pat robertson died like five days ago yeah if they picked a pat robertson they probably yeah. you know in hindsight I mean, because yeah. like pat robertson was all like he was part of the whole iran contra thing wasn't he like he was involved in that whole thing so like i don't know maybe it would have been more appropriate to have pat robertson be but then again like that would be like Pat Robertson somehow made it to be the president in this world. Mm. So I don't know. There were all sorts of terrible things happening in that uh, era politically with that this movie could be responding to. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there were no shortage and there's no shortage now. Exactly. That's another, just another reason that John Carpenter's the best. Yeah. Also, you always got to talk about him as a composer as well. Oh yeah, that the the music in this movie is awesome. The there's like that one scene. I don't did he did he compose this movie? I didn't even look. Yeah, he. Uh, it's uh, him uh, and Shirley Walker, who okay. uh, also Shirley Walker did the score for the, I think the first few final destination movies and those movies have good music they do um there was a really great scene in this where the the music was it was scored along with the action sequences so like the gunshots that were happening it was like reflecting like when there were when there were breaks in the gunfire the music would stop and stuff and it just went along with it it was really it was a really good implementation of the score uh, Bruce Campbell's in here as the, the the Surgeon General of Beverly Hills, and in one of my favorite scenes of the movie, I, lo- I loved that scene. I mean, where, what a character name! Yeah, where there there's this like weird underground cult of plastic surgery freaks who they've had too much plastic surgery, and it's like all falling apart. So they they have to go out and like steal body parts from other people to continuously do surgeries to keep their appearance going. And the people look so crazy with the like prosthetic, uh, like masks making their, their plastic surgery look so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I love that. That scene yeah. it was a great scene. I, th- I just think there's a, a lot to like about this movie. It's yeah, sure. It's cheesy. Like the, yeah. the basketball scene, by the way, like the basketball scene is so like, it was like one of those things where, you know, like when Carpenter was shooting it, he was probably thinking like in his head, he probably thought that it would look really cool. But when you see it, like Kurt Russell in like that skin tight <laughs> leather, just dribbling a basket by himself, dribbling a basketball down a court, not looking particularly you know, good. I, I know Kurt Russell was a baseball player. I don't know if he played basketball, but he didn't look that great uh, at it. So that was I, kind of a rough scene. 
when, when I said that is specifically, I think one of the scenes that I was thinking of, really the scene I was thinking of when I said this is like the theme park version of Escape from New York. This is the backdraft, the ride. <laughs> yeah, and that is not a bad thing in and of itself. Yeah, yeah like that that scene, the lead up to that scene, it's like it almost it seems like it's going to be like a Thunderdome type of thing where people are going to be pitted against each other. So you're like prepped. You're like, oh man, Snake's going to have to like fight some kind of crazy mutant or something. And then they're like, nah, you gotta you gotta shoot. You got to get 10 points full court. <laughs> it's just like, well, what? <laughs> and also like this right before that, the guy, the contestant who was before that, he didn't, didn't do it. So he got shot. But the way that he got shot is that there were people on all four sides of the fence in the basketball court and they all shot him at once. And it's like, they would shoot each other. They're shooting directly across from each other. <laughs> That's not a good idea. No. And yet somehow they didn't. They just shot no. him. It's funny how that works in the movies. I was kind of hoping that there was going to be a third escape from movie. Uh, I think that at one point there was some talk of it. And I know that Snake Plissken is, I believe that he's shown up in like other like maybe comic books or something because it's such, he's such a cool character and I think that this would have been really cool as a trilogy. I mean, they they do mention an interim escape from Cleveland. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. They do. But we don't see it. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, they mentioned Cleveland a couple times in this. And and well, cuz like, you know, uh, I guess he did some crazy stuff in Cleveland since yeah. he was like um, he was so fa- he was like the most famous person in the country. Literally everybody knew who Snake Plissken was. Everybody yeah, no, like everybody. Yeah, well, this is about, you know, 15 years in between the two movies. So you know that meme that was, you know, it's like the the the, the futuristic, you know, city with the flying cars and it says society if whatever happened. Uh, I, we need one for that, but it's society if there was escape from Cleveland in about, I don't know, 1990 <laughs> or so. <laughs> Complete the trilogy. <laughs> oh man, I would love escape from Cleveland. I think that'd be so funny. Come on, John. You gotta do it. <laughs> you gotta do it, man. Nick Nick Castle. You, you know you want to work on another escape from script i know you do nick uh anyway that's escape from la again i i highly recommend this one too i think it's it's really fun it 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 is it is laughable like it's sort of not intentionally funny at moments but i think that that makes it yeah that just makes it more entertaining uh the final film that we're going to be talking about this month is soldier from 1998 this is kind of the one that that got us talking about this theme really um because last month we were talking about paul ws anderson and it got got me looking at his filmography and it and i saw soldier and i was like oh man i want to rewatch that and that's how it started this came out october 23rd of 98 I have a synopsis here. A soldier trained from birth is deemed obsolete and dumped on a waste planet where he is reluctantly taken in by a community of defenseless stranded wayfarers. Uh, 
not not a great poster for this one that I'm seeing here. Oh, which is it's, it's unfortunate because I feel like the poster doesn't necessarily represent the movie because especially because there's a scene uh, there's a part in the like upper left corner where it shows like spaceships that appear to be shooting at each other which that's not in the movie like, we, don't, we don't have space battles in this movie like it takes place uh like some of it there are there are ships there are spaceships but this makes it look like it's kind of like a star wars thing or something and that's just not not the case and then of course you have the floating heads you got the orange and like kind of bluish hues here more purpley um yeah it's just uh it's kind of a crappy poster don't like it but i did like the movie i obviously loved it as a kid uh and i gotta say like i still like it now and i think that i like it for different reasons than i did as a kid as a kid I just pretty much liked it for the action and the the kind of the sci-fi themes, um, but watching it now, uh, I think I kind of maybe didn't recognize like how good this movie looked. Like mm. uh, from a visual standpoint, like this movie yeah. looks really good, and mm-hmm. I think that after seeing this, I think that this might be one of it's certainly one of Paul W. S. Anderson's best looking movies. Yeah, it's a very good-looking movie. Like, there's actually some really cool, like, stylistic moments in this where he plays around with, like, different lighting and stuff. And um, I like the look of the planet, the ships. Like, all of that stuff looks really good. The effects work is quite good in this, too, which is crazy, you know, like, comparing this to Escape from L.A., where, you know, uh, (laughs) Escape from L.A. looks like transformers beast wars and this this which comes out you know two years later what's the budget on this um uh soldier uh have a budget 60 60 million million. okay so it it was more expensive than escape from la so yeah i don't know it's still it's regardless looked leaps and bounds above uh escape from LA when it, when it comes to the, the effects work here. Um, and I just think it's a cool movie, you know, it's like kind of a universal soldier type ripoff, but I think that it, it's a role that Kurt Russell kind of can excel at. Although I think that I like the, I like Kurt Russell as more of like a wise cracker. You know, like a like a guy who's like cracking jokes and like a like a Jack Burton from Big Trouble in Little China type. I, I like that more than the kind of silent, stoic, brooding Kurt Russell that we got in this movie. He has like three lines of dialogue in this movie. Hmm. He's still cool yeah. in it. You know, he's still like a like a badass soldier guy. He's like a super soldier, <clears throat> but. I don't know. I like, uh, you know, I, I like, um, I like that, that I like that, that, that in the, the world of this movie, the, the, it goes completely even further than just setting something incredibly futuristic, you know, five years after the movie gets made. This one says that the science fiction, di- uh, you know, divergent, uh, happens two years before the movie comes out. 
<laughs> because apparently the program begins in 1996. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And Kurt Russell's name is Todd three four six five in this, <laughs> which is you know of the Newport three four six fives. You know you you just don't like so three Todd three four six five. You wonder is he the is he the three thousand four hundred sixty fifth Todd that they've made? That's what I'm wondering. I don't think they're. I don't think there were that many babies no. named Todd in 1996. Were there? <laughs> I don't think so. I feel My... like Todd, had, you know, that was not. I feel like there were more Todds earlier. Yeah, my dad's name is Todd, but it, mm. it's just it. It is funny because I just don't expect a. You don't expect a super soldier, an un unkillable super soldier, to be named Todd. It just doesn't. <laughs> Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't quite feel right now. Really now, Jason Scott Lee, who was sort of, you know, the the antagonist, one of the antagonists here, who has to go up against Kurt Russell. His name was Kane Six O Seven, which there, there were six hundred and six other Canes. <laughs> now, Kane Six O Seven is definitely a more kind of tough guy name than than Todd. They should have switched Yeah. That would that probably be better. Um, you have Jason Isaacs in here as uh, kind of a he's a he's like a, a colonel. He's kind of the one who handles the the program, I guess. And then the the new version of these soldiers comes out, and they're I guess better than the old version. So they uh, they think that they killed Kurt Russell. I don't know how they managed to like mess that up to the point where they thought he was dead. So they just put him on a trash barge and like dumped him onto a planet and then realized like, Oh no, he's alive. We got to go kill him now. Like you would think that they would at least check, you know, to, they just assumed he was dead, which is kind of weird. Yeah. It's a little, yeah. Especially for, for a program such as, Right. Yeah, it's just weird. Um so so yeah, like that's the whole the whole premise here. He gets dumped onto this garbage planet and he ends up finding that there's like a whole community that lives there. It was a there was another ship that crash landed there and they've been stuck on there, so they they've created a little like society and they it, they start to humanize him. Like they they he starts to have feelings human feelings and get attached to the people in there and of course like right when he starts to become uh, like a human um the the people find him and then they go and start to kill everybody there and then he has to fight them and kill them all that's pretty pretty much the the, the gist of this movie it's it's pretty simple yeah but it's it. I think it's quite good. I think it's fun. There's uh, some really good action scenes. I like the the design work here. I like the the way that the weapons look and the ships and the way that the garbage planet looks. And you have a good cast of characters here. In addition to the people I mentioned, you have Sean Pertwee in here. Both he and Jason Isaacs were in in shopping, which was the uh, other Paul the Paul Paul W S Anderson's 
debut, which I did see since our last episode and is quite good. Oh, you told me all about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's quite good, and I do recommend it. You have Connie Nielsen in here as Sandra. There's like a weird kind of love story that, that emerges. Uh, I think that, that Kurt Russell's character, uh, Todd, I think Todd kind of falls for Connie Nielsen's character, even though she's married. Uh, Gary Busey's in here. Busey's great in this. I think he he's kind of wild, but he's not like quite there yet. He's not like full on Busey in this, mm -hmm. but, but you can tell he's like heading that direction. <laughs> so yeah, uh, fun fun little sci fi action movie. I, I like. I don't know if this would compare to something like Universal Soldier. Like I. I think I probably still liked Universal Soldier more, but this was still, uh, I think, I think a good, a good time. I, I just wish that they did a little bit more with Kurt Russell in the, in the humanizing aspect of it. Like, mm. you know, make it, make, make a little bit more progress with him before they brought, you know, the, the hammer down on him, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think that that would have been, I think that that would have been a more interesting thing where like if he's been there for like several years or whatever, and like he becomes like fully reformed, he he, you know, cares for his fellow man, and he he throws away his violent tendencies and like becomes like a, a regular citizen and and then he all of a sudden he's thrust back into this world and he you know maybe at first doesn't want to go back to it Th that's not that's not what happens in this movie i think that it's much more straightforward like the people land and he immediately starts killing yeah <laughs> yeah which i guess is fine too but yeah i i mean yeah it it, it definitely it provides the movie with its own like entertaining directions to go in. Yeah. Um, what was your take on this? Did you like this movie? I generally enjoyed it. I not quite as much as you did, but you're right that it does look really good. There are so many just great individual shots that Anderson uh, has in this that you can really see that just this his 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 style is very particular. Uh, approach really still continuing to evolve and and take shape here because this would have been his uh, fourth uh feature yeah so this well, uh, is yeah it's hard it's hard to figure out if you watch this and, and then you watched event horizon i don't think i don't know would it have seemed obvious that event horizon came first i don't know i mean there are definitely similarities between those two in in the the visuals department because i think event horizon looks really great too yeah um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You can, you can you listeners, you can find our previous discussion of Event Horizon on an earlier episode. I, I, I do. I think that maybe, maybe this is a little bit more, I think this, this one looks maybe a little bit better than Event Horizon. Um, yeah, but I, I, I think I'd agree. But, but there's definitely, I think you, you definitely can see similarities yeah, there between the two yeah I, yeah I was just wondering yeah it, it just it, where it almost makes sense in, in like the the if you were trying to create a narrative of his career but yeah i think 
Yeah, probably Soldier does look better, and I think the difference is about the same and where it looks like it is if we try to quantify that and and where he would have been at the time. But yeah, I, yeah, to get to, to get the full span of Paul W. S. Anderson, we'd have to go well beyond the boundaries of our '90s podcast, though, so we can only. Yeah, I mean, so after after Soldier, pretty much we get into the Resident Evil franchise, and that's when things really. <laughs> take a i guess you could say take a turn for him they take off i don't i don't know i guess I, I, some people think so <laughs> i don't know i haven't seen en- enough of his later work to have an opinion but some people think that's when he took off and other people probably think that's when he took when he fell off fell off yeah <laughs> soldier still gets a a light recommend for me if you're looking for uh you know a pretty fun sci-fi action movie check it out there's not a lot here to it i mean the action is decent but it's nothing super memorable or anything i think that the movie in general is not not really that memorable like it i think that it there's a lot of other movies that you could compare this to that that do all of this better so so in a lot of ways maybe soldier's not a necessary movie it doesn't really need to exist in in any way but i think it's i I, I think it's still entertaining at the very least i I think there's a degree to which maybe i this was by far the, the first movie of the four that i watched for the podcast i think i maybe watched it like maybe the day or the day after we set we set a date for recording this and yeah i it there are parts of it that that are kind of fading. Yeah, it's already, it's a but, it's pretty forgettable. But there are also so many like individual images that that Anderson composes that are really just mm-hmm. stuck there in my mind. It's yeah, so. it's, it's a movie that when you rewatch it, if you've seen it before, you realize like oh, it's a little bit on a grander scale than what at least what I remember. Like I didn't remember any like the space stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels, it, it feels like a much bigger movie than maybe what you initially think of with it. And I don't know, it's, it's still, I think worth, worth a look. It's, mm-hmm. it's not, certainly not one of his, one of Anderson's worst mm-hmm. movies. Yeah. Uh, it did get really, a. Uh aggressively negative reviews yeah i remember i remember when it came out that i didn't see it until it was out on video and i I do remember that it was one of those that like came and went really fast in theaters and like it just was not well received at all Mm. and for some reason i thought that they made a sequel but like a straight to video sequel but i was wrong about that i must have been thinking of universal soldier because they did make a sequel to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie uh, lost a fair bit of money. It, it uh, off of a sixty million dollar budget, it only grossed fourteen point five million worldwide. So, uh, yeah, lost a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> lost a whole lot of money. But you know, um, just like most other white men directors in Hollywood. Paul W. Sanderson continued to fail up. Well, 
in terms of yes, but also in terms of finance, I was about to say, yeah, he he yeah that that could have been the start of a slide in his career. I mean, he would have gotten more chances, but he did he did have the good fortune to make Resident Evil as the next movie. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe that was maybe that was going to be his last uh, last hurrah, like his last chance. If that... Resident Evil uh, bombed, I don't think he would have been making any more studio films. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it it did not do well critically, but no, it, but it, it definitely. Yeah, so, interestingly, he, he, they only gave him thirty three million for Resident Evil. Compared to sixty million for million for Soldier for Soldier, which is a much smaller movie when you think about it. Like Resident Evil, by this point was a big franchise. Like the video games by this point were like you know pretty pretty popular, and so it's interesting that they only they obviously didn't trust him that much. Only giving him yeah, thirty three well, million. They also got sixty million for Event Horizon, which also lost money. So. <laughs> yep, that's that's true. They were just they were just subsidizing him. <laughs> well, but Resident Evil grossed a hundred and hundred and two point nine million worldwide off of its meager thirty three million dollar budget. So that was a big uh, that was a big winner. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know, like how the, all the sequels, like. There were so yeah. many. Like, did they Dead all Vincent. make money? I, I mean, I can't imagine that. <laughs> I'm just pulling them up at random now. Resident Evil, Resident Evil Afterlife, uh, made three hundred million dollars <laughs> on a sixty million dollar budget in 2010. Well, the Resident Evil, the final chapter, also made 300 million dollars off of a on a smaller budget 40 million dollar (laughs) budget and it made 312 million i mean clearly these were money machines like this this, yeah this was just a money printing machine i guess maybe Uh, because it was the last one or supposedly the last one that more people saw it and then his most recent feature uh was monster hunter which uh, sixty million dollar budget, forty four million dollars uh, gross, but that, also twenty twenty. That was, was a yeah, that was a pandemic movie. I remember that that one actually came out in theaters. Like they didn't. This was during a time when you know things were so like all theaters were closed, and there were like HBO Max was releasing these big movies on HBO Max. Um, instead of the theater and stuff like that. And there were these like those um, movies that were like supposed to be out in theaters, like the trolls movie and stuff. And they, they put them out on like a premium VOD thing. They didn't do that with this movie. <laughs> like <laughs> they were so stubborn with it. They were like, Oh no, you gotta see the, You gotta see monster hunter on the big screen. And no, well, as I, like no, I, nobody went to see it there. It probably opened in like 10 theaters. <laughs> Most theaters were probably still closed when this released. Well, as I as I as I think I mentioned on this podcast before, the first I think the first movie that got a that got a like a theaters only release during the pandemic was Unhinged, or as I've as I keep saying, as the tagline makes it look, Russell Crowe is unhinged <laughs> was the title. And I think, yeah, that I think that came out. Like a little bit before Monster Hunter, maybe, and they were like, "This is gonna be the one." 
this, this is, is this, like, this is what's going to open up the theaters again. Get people, and it was not get people back in the seats. Russell Crowe is unhinged. <laughs> well, I did see Monster Hunter, and it's it is very bad. So, which is unfortunate. That's another very popular video game franchise, and it, it, they could have done some cool stuff with uh, with that series, but uh, you know, it's it's pretty bad. Mm. Uh, all right, I think that's gonna do it for this month. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can send us your 90s memories to 90s at filmpulse.net or by DMing us on Facebook or Twitter at 90s Pod. You can also, if you have a moment, consider reviewing us on iTunes. That'd be great. Until next month, for Ken Bakley, my name is Adam Patterson. This has been Saved by the 90s. Bye, everyone. <laughs>